Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferentz.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. And I never would have found any of those doors if I didn't open that first one. And a bunch of those doors have vastly changed my entire life by like a factor of 10. That's Andrew Masters, a Nashville-based engineer, producer, and musician whose YouTube has grown to over 130,000 subscribers. After doing more than 100 of his epic studio tours, Andrew tells us what he thinks are the most important things to think about when setting up your own studio. Prioritize and prioritize We also talk about how YouTube has changed his life and created opportunities he never imagined. You know, I got to me like go to a, a house party with Bob Clear Mountain, you know, and we're like, I got there and people already knew me. I'm like, what? What do you think makes a great assistant and the challenges that come along with hiring people? I can train you on technical stuff, but it's hard to train someone to be able to hang in a room and be. And why getting over the hurdle of starting a project is the most important thing you can do for your career. The first thing you're doing is just breaking down that wall of no, I won't do it to yes, I will do it. And then you're like, okay, well, what is it that I need to do? How do I do it? This one's got it all from studio advice to productivity goals and YouTube. So stick around for my interview with Andrew Masters. <laughs> I found your channel a couple of years ago. I don't know exactly when you started, but the studio tours are amazing. How many studio tours have you done? Do you have any idea? I know it's over 110, for sure. I know it's over that. Yeah, it's a lot. I started doing them in 2019, the very end of 2019, I think in August. It was my wife's idea. She was like, you should do them every week. And I was like, you're insane. Do you know how, how much that is? Like how many things that is to do? and have it up every week. But, you know, she was right. You know, people watched them and it was it was a great way to just meet a ton of people who also have studios, who also are composers and musicians and really scale the network and also like put it out there, like yeah. show like, hey, this is this person. This is what they're doing. This is how they're doing it. And I think I think it was kind of a, a really cool thing for everyone, the viewers, myself, the people who... I was doing the videos on and I still like doing them. I've been doing fewer of them lately, but. Is that because you ran out of studios? Did you see them all? <laughs> no, it was just, it's a huge workload. I've done them every Monday for over two years. Wow. And I wanted to just adjust my workload a little bit and try to create a healthier work life, like family sort of balance. And it's hard, like, you know, I've got an assistant now and bringing on an assistant, whether it's an assistant engineer or just sort of an assistant who does a bunch of different things, 
it's an onboarding process. It is. You know, it's almost like, oh, cool, I, I got an assistant that I now have to basically train and get up to speed with everything. And that's like at least a month of getting close. Yeah. And then on top of that, you're also paying for it. So you're doing really twice as much work and paying to do twice as much work in hopes that after a couple months, it'll balance out a little bit. So <laughs> yeah, it's super hard. Are you the, the type of personality that do you micromanage? Because I my experience with interns and assistants is I get too controlling and then it just, it never pans out and it's always my fault. For all my former assistants that are listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am an idiot. You know, like I'm a drummer, basically. I'm basically just a drummer. And I got curious enough to try to figure out how to record myself and have been obsessed with that process ever since. That's really all I am. I didn't go to college, really. I didn't get any sort of formal business training or management and hiring people is management. Like you have to manage somebody else, give them work every day when they show up, they need stuff to do all day. Yeah. Yep. And you have to be smart about it. We could do a whole podcast just on that topic alone. But Scott, who's my current assistant, is really probably the sixth person or so that I've tried this with. And I've learned a lot from each person I've worked with. Everyone has had strengths and weaknesses, and I've had a lot. Everything that's gone wrong has basically been my fault as well. And I just have to sort of learn along the way. But with Scott, you know, my process was like, I'm going to just assign you things and not stand over your shoulder, not manage you and just see how bad it is and then try to correct it, you know. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty micromanagey. Like I'll I'll let it get to a certain point, and then I'll be like, I remember he was editing the a podcast, and he was going through and just because he wasn't super familiar with Final Cut, he was like, whatever he was doing was making it take six times as long at least because it was like a quick key multicam thing or something. Yeah, and I jumped in. I was like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> here, do this. This is gonna save you. This is gonna make it go literally ten times faster. And he was like, oh man. Thank you. Yeah. I probably should have jumped in first. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, like, you know, you do have to get someone up to speed to actually be helpful for both parties to, like, get something out of it. You have to put a lot of time into that. And I think a lot of people, especially, like, musicians and producers, they want to bring somebody on maybe a little a little earlier than they should. And, like, the dollar value becomes very important to them. And then when you look over somebody's shoulder and you're like, why is this so slow? You're costing me money. I could be done. It's just like, it's hard to get over that hurdle for people, I think. So, yep. The I could do it 10 times faster thing is hard to let go of. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you want to grow and scale, you really do just, you got to just let them figure it out. Yep. And suffer a little bit. I mean, I don't want to say suffer is the wrong word, but you just got to sort of like put it on them and check in, you know, yeah. check in. Hold them accountable, be like, okay, it's been four hours. Where are you at? You know? Yeah, that's a fun process. And Scott, my assistant, is really great. He's been an assistant at other studios before. So I think that is a huge quality that I look for because you've been an assistant. Yeah. If you've assisted, you know how to be in a room with people, right? Professionally. Yeah. And some people haven't had that. And that's a hard thing to train. I can train quick keys. I can train you on technical stuff, but it's hard to train someone to be able to hang in a room and be dependable, not just screw up the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
I mean, it comes up all the time with people. It's so much of this industry is personality and hang. Nobody really needs to work with the greatest guitarist in the world. They want to work with the person that everybody likes, even if they're the 50th greatest guitarist, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to talk, because you and I both worked in like classic recording studios. I've built a couple rooms. You built an amazing studio for yourself that you're sitting in, and you've seen 110 plus studios. I wanted to talk about some of the things that people should think about when they're thinking about doing a big upgrade or building their own studio. I'm not talking about like the best interface and best microphone and shit like that, but like the philosophies, how to plan it, how to think ahead. Do you have thoughts on like where somebody should start if they're about to like pull their credit card out? And before they do that, what do they do? I try to, you know, I can give how I approach it. I think that's the best way to, for me to pontificate on this topic. Yeah. Is I move a lot. Because I move a lot, I've set up a lot of rooms and sort of had to work with whatever I could work with, right? And sometimes it's like, okay, this is like a corner of the living room that doesn't have a back wall. All right, let's figure out how to make this work. I think if we're just talking about anyone, the questions I would ask myself would basically be, what are my goals? You know, what are the things I aspire to do and If I'm doing that, what am I going to be spending the majority of my time doing specifically, right? Because so I'm a drummer. I always want to be able to record drums. It's a big pain in the ass when setting up a studio. Because if I didn't have to do that, oh man, my studio would be way cooler. (laughs) But that's something I have to do. So it's like I have to compromise on my listening experience there's a whole drum kit and a bunch of mics and a bunch of snares and cymbals right next to me, like right behind me. Yeah. Now at the same time, how many hours out of the day am I sitting and playing those drums? Pretty small amount. And the rest of the time I'm sitting over here listening, you know? So it's like, right. How do you strike that balance of the things that you want to be able to do really well with the other things you need to do. I need to film. I need to have lights. I need to be able to have access to everything in the room. I need it to kind of work. This is out of all the rooms I've had. It's the biggest room, but it's still a little room above my garage. But I can film a bunch of different ways up here. Everything's lit and it's out of the way. I can track live instruments, drums, guitars, synths, bass, vocals, percussion, whatever. It's all set up to basically just not have to change anything yeah you know vocal i've got a mic literally right you can't hear it but i can and then you know i've got a big thing here so yeah it's basically like i I would say try to figure out what you think you're going to spend the most time doing and then kind of like game plan like a layout of the room but also i think people get really tied up in The technical stuff, definitely people overthink gear. People get really tied up in like, do I need to do green glue? Do I need to use this kind of drywall? Do I need to float my floors and this kind of stuff? And for everyone who is like a full-time, high-priced, incredible mixing engineer and needs all that, kudos. To the regular person, I would say, don't worry about that prioritize workflow and prioritize comfort. Yeah, yeah. Call me crazy. When you come into the studio and it's uncomfortable, 
How much work are you going to get done? What's the quality of that work? And how long are you going to want to be in there? No, you want to get out. <laughs> yeah, it's going to suck. Everything's going to suck. It's yeah. going to be miserable. Yeah. The room needs to be comfortable and it needs to work. Like everything outside of that is like, mm, whatever. Totally. Yeah, it's not a vocal booth, but whatever. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> well, the thing that I think is interesting, and I, I think a lot of like people that have been coming up in the last few years that haven't been in studios like we have, I think they get really shocked when they walk into like an East West or, or whatever, and they have to wait for something to get set up. Because they're used to being in like producers rooms where like, yeah, like I'm sure that that sub 37 just shows up somewhere right now if you were to turn around and hit it. Oh, yeah. And that's the difference between like you're talking about dialing a workspace in that you can create in quickly and going into a professional studio that can do everything. You just have to tell them what you're doing before you get there. Yeah. And they're two very different mentalities. And I really enjoy like having a space that is just set up and it works. And I think that's the way the world is kind of kind of going these days. Yeah, I think they both, they definitely both have value. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of something that, you know, really boils down to what you're doing. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, this is great for a bunch of things. Yeah. But it's not great for tracking strings. You know what I'm saying? It's true. It's true. It's true. I was just going to say, since you've seen so many home studios, you've seen some big studios, we're talking about this. Do you think the like the purpose built? brick and mortar, huge room that you would record strings in. How many more decades do you think studios like that have? Do you think they get replaced or is there always going to be one good one in town? I would say the question is more complicated when it comes to like regionally, but as far as like a macro topic, like our commercial studios going away, I don't think so. I think those businesses will evolve. I think they will find new and creative ways to keep business coming in. Hopefully, there'll be better business models and they will compete. And it'll be like, oh, well, yeah, remember when we used to pay like all this and all you could do is that? Well, now you can go in there and do all these other things that are way more relevant plus what you used to be able to do. Yeah. I'm optimistic about it. I'm a sort of unapologetic capitalist, if you will. I really like when... (laughs) Companies don't get stagnant and sort of like stuck in this. Well, we've done it this way, so we'll always do it this way. Those are the studios that are going to die. Yeah. The other studios that are like, hey, you know what? What if we started a podcast? You know, or hey, what if we did this? Or we offered this? Or we hired some people who did these things? Those are the ones that are probably going to grow and expand. But that's going to come down to the let's call it leadership at the company the management mm-hmm. and some studios have poor management i'm going to use those words they have poor management that's true some studios have killer management also true and it's very clear when you walk into a studio which one they have <laughs> oh yeah dude the poor management those studios have no vibe no and everyone in there is just it's like a corporate office as far as how the employees carry themselves behave like how the demeanor just feels when you walk in versus someplace like we should start a drinking game for every time I say East West for you walk into East West. I mean, it's just completely different. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. It's great. A great studio that I haven't got to spend enough time in. I'll offer another little thing here. I've been seeing legacy studios or at least I'll just say at least one. And then I saw a couple others that I wasn't familiar with the studio. Start YouTube channels. Oh, 
And I think that is an interesting development. And I think that is extremely smart for said studios. I think so too. Which one did you see open at first? Would you say that? I found Sunset Sounds YouTube channel and they've been doing it for like at least three. They must have started around the pandemic. That's the one that I've found. Because they've got a, a few years of stuff on there and good stuff. Like yeah. really, I've I've been trying to listen to this interview with Paul Wolf on their podcast over the last three days. Everything about it is so good. So I'm trying to not miss any of it. But, you know, they've probably gotten four views just from me coming back to it. Right. In the last couple of days from one person. So, yeah. And that's just one of the videos I found. I'm sure I'm going to binge a bunch of them and learn all sorts of stuff and be inspired to someday go record at Sunset Sound. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the way the world, I was talking about this with somebody else. The way that people build trust now is very different from like 15 years ago when I came to LA. But like back in the day, it's like you walk in from Studio C at Capitol into Studio B and you're like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How's it going? Blah, blah, blah. Six months later, you have a gig. That world doesn't happen the same way. And I feel like artists these days, they're looking to understand a person. Like you've made a lot of content. People understand who you are. If they resonate with you, they're going to call and say, hey, man, can you play drums on this? I like your vibe. They know who you are already. You've built trust. So I think studios doing that to build trust with this new generation of people and just new way the world works, I think is uh, kind of a no-brainer. And if they're not doing that, then they need... They need to start. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> the least interesting answer I could say is I agree, but <laughs> ever since I started doing YouTube videos, I've just been like an evangelist trying to convert people. I'm like, what? Dude, get out there. Post some videos. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. That's a segue to a question I had, which you basically just answered. Do you think more musicians and music educators, music production people, should more people have a foot in YouTube? I think it's kind of a similar question as the studio and the management. It's going to come down to the individual because some people are going to be open to it and some people are not going to be open to it no matter what. Yeah. I do think that you should leave the the door open to the idea because there's like a, a, I don't know if it's an analogy that I've used to sort of describe my experience with it, but I used to be completely opposed to posting anything on social media that had anything to do with my work. I was like, oh, it's tacky. You know, it takes time, you know, it's um, just, it's like name dropping. It's no one wants to see that. And that was the stupidest thing in the entire world ever for me to have told myself because I missed out on sharing in not just the sharing part, but the documenting Mm. of what the hell I was doing because I don't remember 95% of the stuff I've done unless I see someone, I'm like, Oh, yeah, I forgot about that band. That was a huge band, you know? And it's like if you share it, 
whatever, like your sort of ego, like you got to just ignore that, get that out of there and just share it because there are people who are genuinely curious and don't understand how the world that you live in works. Yeah. And they really want to. And, you know, if you just get out of your own way, not only do you get to document everything you're doing and be able to look back and and then share that in the future and go, oh, my God, check out when I did this. But you're also putting that information out there for other people to get inspired by, learn from, gives them a target to shoot for. Or maybe they see it and they go, oh, yeah, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> Either way, it's value. And, yeah, you know, the analogy I, I said is like, if I wouldn't have ever opened that door to YouTube, like I opened that door, started walking and found a hallway of a hundred more doors that I didn't know would be there. And I never would have found any of those doors if I didn't open that first one. And a bunch of those doors have vastly changed my entire life by like a factor of 10. It's crazy. I think it's going to come down to how you want to spend your time. For me, prioritizing family, prioritizing you know, a healthier schedule. I wanted to have a house. I wanted to have a yard. You know, we have pets and stuff. It's like, I want to see them. I want to go home. I don't want to be at Pro Tools in the dark control room all day, every single day, or at somebody's beck and call, some work for some producer. And they just, they're like, hey, session tonight at 1 a.m. And you're like, what? Like, no, thanks. Been there. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been there too, but it's like, that's sort of like, I think, important to do for an amount of time, but I don't want that to be a permanent thing. Yeah. So after I had done a bunch of those sort of scenarios, you know, I was like, dude, I'm over this. You know, it's great. I'm grateful for what I've learned. I feel like I've learned a lot, but I need to move on to whatever's next and build on what I've learned from and eventually YouTube. I came around to that with no expectations, by the way. I had no idea of any of the opportunities that were going to come from it. It was just sort of like, I'll make videos because I, I figured out how to use microphones. I could probably figure out how to use a camera and we'll see what happens. I agree with everything you just said. I don't know. That just really resonated with me because there's so many things in there that I myself have felt the, the whole like, I don't want to be locked in the studio forever, but I'm going to keep doing this. The doors that open, like this is a small podcast. But the people that I've met, it's crazy. If you just go outside that one-way mentality that so many people in the industry have of, I'm not going to make content because it's lame. I'm not going to sell a course because it's dumb. Or like, there's so many things that open doors and you never know. You know what I mean? It's so, yeah, man, I really resonate with all of that. All that. Yeah. So a question about YouTube. I know the secret to YouTube is to take it super seriously. Are you like an analytics obsessive, like a title obsessive? Like, mm. did you get into all of that when you were starting or did you just make videos and they started to work? I would say every step of the way that changed. You know, like in the beginning, you're very attentive to the analytics because it's all you have. Right. You know, and it's, you don't know, you just upload and you're like, 20 views today. <laughs> yes. Sick. I watched it 11 times. So that's nine people at least, <laughs> you know, who watched it, you know, and, and it's like getting a little bit of momentum. I still have like screenshots on my phone 
of a few years ago where it was like, you know, YouTube will rank your video's performance over time, like the first hour of performance compared to your last 10 videos in the first hour. And then it continues that, you know, five hours, six hours or whatever. And it's kind of a super unhealthy thing, but it is a thing. So you look at it and you're, and, and the way it's ranked, by the way, is your latest video. If it's doing as well as it could, it would be a one out of 10. One out of 10 is the best. 10 out of 10 is you're a failure and you should give up. And so it's like you upload and you're just looking for that one out of 10. Like I, it, the one out of 10 means every time you upload, it's doing better than what you've done, which is obviously like in any field, business, art, movies, like you don't just perpetually always beat everything you've ever done yeah. forever, unless you're Mr. Beast. So that's like a big, you know, subscribers. A lot of metrics are all you have to go off of for feedback of like, how is this doing? Like, did I do a good job? Well, it looks like, you know, 30 more people watched this in the first two hours. So that's good, I guess. You know, why is that? I don't know. But you basically, I would say, just like making music, just like making art, creating products for a business, whatever it is, for the most part, you're not going to be able to just make one thing and then be good. It's true. Like the way you grow and continue to get business is to make more of it. Like if you want to be an engineer and then you record a record, you got to keep make more records. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't just make one and be like, yo, that was good. So I'm probably set now. <laughs> <laughs> if you kind of think about it like other industries, then, you know, kind of treat it like that. And, you know, when I started, I didn't have any time to do it. You know, that's the first thing most people will say once they get past the, I think it's lame and I don't want to do it. They'll go to, well, I just don't have time. And it's like, you have time for whatever you make time for, you know? And I had an eight month old when I started and I was doing random, very low paying gigs, but gigs. And I was driving for Uber on the side. So I was doing whatever I could to bring cash in, but I was working a lot a lot of hours out of the day, and I had a little kid at home. And so after he went to sleep, you know, whatever it was, like 7 p.m. or something, that's when I would get on my computer and I would say, okay, for one hour, 7 to 8 p.m. every day, I'm going to figure out how to get the footage from my phone on my computer and then figure out what to do with it. Right, what do I need to use this? Premiere, Final Cut, you know, what's the difference? Okay, I got to learn about this. You know, it's just one hour at a time. And it's like, okay, I'll start there. Yeah. And you make a video and you go, this is a, this is a great video, you know, and then you upload it. And then it's like, upload thumbnail. I'm like, oh, shit. What's a, how do I make a thumbnail? You know, and what do you put in there? And is, is there's so many things that you learn along the way. Again, just like every other business or job or creative endeavor and, you have to just sort of like take it on as a challenge. And one thing to keep in mind is as you are learning these new skills, these are not skills that will be useless in the future. Okay. So learning how to edit video, learning how to shoot video, learning how to use lighting, learning how to talk. Yeah. Because making content, the first thing you have to do is learn how to talk because you will watch yourself in your first video and you go, Oh, no. 
Is this what everyone else sees every time I talk to them? This is so bad. I have to figure out why I talk like this. I have to stop saying um and like and you know so many times in a sentence. I have to learn to stop pausing so much because it also makes the editing way longer. Oh, yeah. You know, so then you start to just like, you know what? Maybe I should plan a little bit of this video. Maybe I should write down some points and just kind of go through them or... Maybe I shouldn't just feel like I need to say everything that I could possibly say about this quick key, you know what I mean? <laughs> or whatever the thing is. It's like, just say the thing, move on. It's important to learn those qualities that, and they translate to so many other fields. So it's not like you're taking on a bunch of time to learn stuff that's going to be useless in your life. It's very important. Yeah. And I've grown and I love learning new stuff. I love figuring out faster and better ways of doing things. And because of that, now I like know how to do photography and video. It's like, what? I would have never, ever chose to learn that stuff. But yeah, now whenever my mom or family wants to do pictures, I'm like, just grab my 50 mil. Let's do that. You know, that'll look great. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you find along the way, like, because I found this, that while you're learning all these new skills and just kind of like, Going outside the music space, did you find it actually made you a little bit more creative musically or when you were like recording? That's what I found. I found like I was just a little bit more stimulated by learning other stuff. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you work in the studio as a job and you're in there all the time, generally when you get out of the studio, you don't want to listen to any music. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you're like, oh, God, give me a podcast. Give me anything else. Let's watch a movie. Yeah, I think learning the new stuff, like taking on a challenge, to, for me, it was YouTube, of learning how to use a camera, lighting. Like, first off, I was extremely naive. And you got to kind of be naive. Because the first thing you're doing is just breaking down that wall of, no, I won't do it, to yes, I will do it. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, what is it that I need to do? How do I do it? And then there's just like, after that, there's all these dominoes of things. You know, I, I still have my first video up where I did a vlog. I use my phone in like a spare bedroom and I just, I had the courage to start and I was like, I'm not going to prep. I'm just going to turn my camera on and I'm going to say it. And I put that footage in and I was like, God, you can't see me at all. Why can't you see me? It's like, oh, you got to get a light. How does this work? Oh, lights. Oh, what? Why are these so expensive? You know, it's just like, just like audio. It's like, what? I need an interface. What does that do? Yeah. <laughs> a rabbit hole to immediately <laughs> dig down, especially if you're already techie. You're like, Lenses? Let's look at all the lenses. Lights? Let's look at all the lights. <laughs> yeah, but because it's not Pro Tools and audio, like the same thing you're always doing, it is nice to learn like a different skill. You know, yeah. it, it's nice to like, oh, you know what? I am going to learn what 2.8 and 1.4 means with lenses. Like what is, oh, what's depth of field? Oh, okay. Now I understand those words. Like, okay, this is pretty cool. And they're so analogous between video and making records. I could compare each step of the process, like, hand in hand. They're so similar. You know, how do you get great drum sounds or whatever? It's like every step of that process is important to make a video. Like, the battery's got to be charged. The camera's got to be level, you know. The yeah. lens has to be set to the right frame. Like, there's so many things that... Add up, the audio's got to be great, you know. It's very, very similar. And if you're already that kind of 
personality where you like the process, you like the, you know, the engineering side of it, you know, figuring out processes, figuring out solutions, like you're going to be into it. It's you got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've been enjoying it. I'm not even really like taking it, you know, I'm trying to do this podcast on YouTube, but I've made a couple of videos that are not, you know, podcast videos and it takes a long time to set up because it's, you know, I don't know anything. I'm not like dialed in like you're dialed in. But I love it. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh, I need, I need a light. Like, just like you found the first video I did, it was like, what? Oh, shit. I can't, I just can't believe I did this for eight hours. This is garbage. But <laughs> I don't know. It's fun. I just, I enjoy trying to pull things from like other fields or business or entrepreneurship into music because, yeah, I mean, having a music career, it's being an entrepreneur and just figuring out how to do it because very few people can just play guitar and make a living or hit record and make a living. You have to like, really have a well-balanced, diverse thing going on, so. Yeah, I think especially now more than ever, you know, if this was 30 years ago and people were buying CDs and recording to tape and big budget labels and just money was everywhere, then you just know the right people, you get in the, the club and you're good. Yep. But now there's a lot of different clubs. Yeah. You know, and they're much bigger and there's really just like the way to get into it is actually much more merit based. So it's, you know, you want to get in there? What are you going to do to get in? Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, I got to find a way to meet this person. It's like, no, you just got to start doing it. You literally have to just start doing it. And then whatever comes from it will be because you did it. You know, so that's that's pretty cool. Also, if you don't like to do work, then you're going to hate it. <laughs> uh, I would, before we go I, I want to do a, a quick uh, a hard subject change I was listening to your podcast with Colt Caparoon and you mentioned that you time block your calendar in like 10 minute blocks from like 4.45 in the morning on when did you start and what made you want to do that because I, I get up at 4.45 in the morning but I'm not like as militant with the blocks yeah so it's the 10 minute thing, it, I think it, I was doing 30 minutes, which was a little more realistic. And that's just to like keep you from getting too lost in something and starting to flip into being unproductive. Mm. So for me, it was, I love changing everything about my life all the time. Like I am a running experiment. <laughs> and it is so cool because I love to figure out new ways of doing stuff. And I hate being comfortable. You know, I've got I've got like this little journal thing. And for my personality, it's so useful. I'll come up here. I've got a little seating area over here that I'll that's like actually comfortable sort of couch kind of chairs. It's not at a computer. And I just sit down with this and I sit down with a blank legal pad and you know, I'm a little bit of a hippie, so I'll write down like things I'm grateful for in my life. Yeah. Because I think if you start your day just bringing yourself to earth and reminding yourself like, dude, I have all my fingers. Like how sick is it that I have all my fingers and my hands work, my feet work? Like, man, I couldn't even write if I didn't have hands. <laughs> You know, like, just, like, sort of, like, start your day there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm grateful for everything that's going well, and I'm grateful for, hopefully, the things that will continue to go well. And then I kind of prioritize, like, okay, I'll usually think in sort of, like, month blocks and goals. 
I'll sort of like write down some priorities and then it gets down to like the today, the to do today list of like from those goals and this month, here's the things that I have to do today and that I'm going to make sure that I do. And literally just by writing them out, I can keep this right next to me and I can go go through each single one and check them off. And then as you check them off, it feels so good. You're like, oh, oh yeah. cool. Like I did that. I'm done with that. Moving on to this. And then once you get all those done and it's like, because I'm a psycho and it sounds like you're a psycho and we get up very early and you get all that stuff done by like nine or 10 AM. And it's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Let's now I'm going to start another thing. I'm going to get ahead of where I needed to be. And yeah, being productive is like the most like fulfilling thing for me. You know, I have a lot of things I have to do and then I have things that I want to do. And then there's like this unknown thing that sometimes when I'm avoiding something else, I'll start an unknown thing. Yeah. Which is real dangerous and often makes for good content. When I start <laughs> making comparison videos, it's because I'm avoiding something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. I'm like, man, I really need to get this second course filmed. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? I bet I could make a sick preamp comparison video where I can. <laughs> That's amazing. I'd really like to know what the difference between these four preamps is. <laughs> well, you know, every, everybody wins, though. You know, some people get a video. You get you get a little procrastination that you can rationalize. It's fine. Yeah. So that sort of practice of getting up, sitting down, committing time, not super dogmatic about the 30 minute thing anymore when i was doing it it was really good but when i was doing that i was working on my course mm. and i think when you're working on a really big project it's helpful to do that kind of stuff because i had never made a course before and just like starting youtube there was a bunch of new things i needed to learn yeah so i needed to make sure i'm like i'm still putting out six videos a month i've got an assistant who needs a bunch of stuff to do i'm working on these other projects I've got to be done so I can take my kid to baseball, art, piano, and guitar and see my wife at some point today. Yeah. So it's like, okay, like 30 minutes of working on this edit, 30 minutes of getting a couple thumbnails done so I don't have to think about it later. And then while I do that, I'm going to listen to a podcast that will help me understand email marketing, hopefully. I'm going to put it on and it's about email marketing and hopefully I'll absorb some of that while <laughs> something I'm, gets stuck in there while I'm making a thumbnail. So yeah, it's just like, and then by breaking it up, it kind of makes it feel a little less daunting. Like, okay, I'm only going to do this for 30 minutes. So it's, I'll make some progress. I won't get done, but I'll, you know, I'll come back to this tomorrow, put another 30 minutes in. I don't think the number really matters there. I think it's just sort of like how many things you have to do and then what makes sense for your attention. That's going to be productive. So yeah, that's a daily habit that I I really try to follow religiously if I can. Some days I, I just come over here and I start learning a cover. <laughs> it is amazing. I, I have an 18-month-old daughter, and when you have a kid, you start to realize how much work you can get done on like an hour-long nap. And you're like, wow, I got a lot of shit done in an hour. And when you start thinking about your life like that, and and you know you give yourself an end time like, you get pretty close to where you want to be, if not done, when that timer clicks off. But I know you have a session. I got two questions I ask everybody at the end, so we'll just jump into those, and I will let you get back to your day. The first question is, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, as we always do in the show, is was there a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you? Yeah, I guess so. Probably a few times. You know, in the beginning, it was like success is me leaving my hometown and pursuing 
this dream of working in a studio. And I moved to LA and started at a trade school, Musicians Institute, and I did a six-month program. So it was very short. I did an internship during that program. So I had my internship hours done by the time I graduated. And I had interviewed at East West. East West and a post-production house were the only two studios that got back to me. I sent my emails and resumes to like, I don't know, 40 studios in LA. Fucking East West was like the one that, you know, the post house was like an old guy who just wanted to hang out with someone while he had lunch, I think. (laughs) And then East West was Candace. And she was basically like, you have a car? (laughs) I was like, no, and I've got a bike. She's like, get a car. If you get a car, then I'll hire you. And I was like, dang, I got to get a car. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I got that. And, but the point of that story is six months before that I was living in Illinois and I didn't know what my future was. And then six months later I had this job at a studio and yeah, I was a runner and I was getting coffee and cleaning toilets and stocking the fridges and stuff. But I work at this huge, awesome studio. I was now in, you know? Yep. And unfortunately I met this really really unlikable person there, Will Onspach. I don't know if anyone knows who that is, but (laughs) he and I actually stayed there the longest, really. And uh, still, it's like a begrudging brothership, brotherhood, (laughs) friendship. (laughs) And uh, he's coming out here soon, actually. We're going to, he's going to spend two weeks out here and we're going to cause some chaos, but. Nice, nice. You guys will have a good time. Yeah, I've I've changed the goals, you know, because I'll set a goal that I think is unattainable and then I attain it and I'm like, well, now what? Yeah. Like, oh man, am I not shooting high enough or whatever? And so, yeah, later it was YouTube. It was like, oh, I'm going to do YouTube and hopefully that'll get me uh, some extra cash to pay my cell phone bill. And so I don't have to do Uber and I can just do my gigs and maybe I'll get more clients when people type my name into the internet and can find me and see like, oh, he's an engineer. And then like all of those other things came from it, you know, like the deals with companies where like, you know, as a freelance engineer, there's almost no circumstance where Universal Audio, Sweetwater, you know, could pick a company is reaches out to you and goes, hey, could we give you our gear for your opinion? And I'm like, what? What? So, yeah, I never, never, ever saw that coming. It was, a, it was that that was one of the ones where I was like, I can't believe it. A company saw my video and then the YouTube thing opened a bunch of doors which allowed me to travel. It allowed me to meet a bunch of people. My network is so much bigger than it ever would have been just as an assistant, like doing gigs or doing some freelance stuff. You know, I got to go to a house party with Bob Clear Mountain, you know, and we're like, I got there and people already knew me. I'm like, what? This is so crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really good. So, you know, getting autonomy of my time and being able to balance my family and stuff that became a big part of it. And, you know, now now I am like, I am craving a little more session work. So I'm like adjusting and doing more session stuff. And it's really fulfilling to be able to do both and have the YouTube on in the background. That's amazing. That's, uh, yeah, I love the idea of uh, setting a goal that you think is unattainable and then hitting it. And that's super energizing when that happens to you. Hopefully that happens to everybody a few times in their life. So the last question, and you basically just kind of answered it, but I'm going to ask it because those are the rules. What is your current biggest goal? And what's the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it? You know, I, I have some sort of like 
usually what I try to do is bundle up my goals into like a package where I'm like, oh, I can do I can do this, but I can also do this, 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 and this all together. So, you know, I'm doing more session work, but I'm also like, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm like trying to do some content that involves the session work that also involves some legacy studios that hopefully will be an interesting development of like just opportunities I get to do, people I get to bring together, places we get to go. And then hopefully we will make much more interesting content for the channel and uh, get to make some tunes and learn a bit and grow a bit. And, you know, hopefully like I, I want to almost like flip it a little bit and put a little more attention on some of those legacy studios and, and showing like, hey, you've been watching me play my drums in my my attic. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out over at these studios, you know, but I'll bring in some real players. That's cool. That's awesome. So yeah, that's it. Putting out some courses at andrewmasterscourses.com. And then, yeah, I've got a pod too. You should come on my podcast so I can ask you questions. I feel very vain sitting here at Pontiff. You're very attacked right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just talking about myself for an hour. Yeah, man, I'd love to. I know you got to go. I think uh, is your session here? They are here. They are here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you have told people where they can find you. I'll put links in the descriptions and, and you're easy to find. I really appreciate your time, dude. We'll definitely have to keep in touch. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Travis. That's it for this week's episode of Progressions. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Be sure to check out all the links and resources mentioned in the episode down below in the video description or in your podcast show notes. If you're listening to this as an audio podcast, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify. It helps the show so much. And if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to drop any thoughts or questions about the episode down below. Let's keep the conversation going. For those of you watching, you'll be getting a link to another episode you might enjoy popping up somewhere right about now. And for those of you listening, check out the YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, and I will see y'all next time.